Today on the show, we got our midseason awards for Notre Dame after the first eight games. And while there might not be much of a debate about who the MVP of the team is, there are some award winners who might catch you by surprise. And that's all coming up in today's edition of Locked On Irish. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 24th, and thank you for making this your first listen each and every day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018, and now I'm a producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash college and use code college for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. The everyday listeners know that on Tuesday, I'm joined by my old co-host, Luke Smith, to go over the three things that we liked and disliked from the game on Saturday. But this week, there is no game to talk about. So instead, Luke and I decided to do a midseason award show. We actually did a preseason award show, and we revisit some of the awards that we gave out before the season and evaluate our picks, how they've fared so far. And then we hand out awards based on who's performed the best through the first eight games. I had a lot of fun doing this, and we'll actually do the same thing again once the season is completely over after the ball game, and we'll officially hand out our awards. But for now, let's do the midseason awards. All right, Luke Smith is here for our midseason award show, and here's how it's going to work. One of us is going to introduce each award, and then we'll say who we picked to win it before the season and who we would give it to today after the first eight games. Luke, why don't you lead us off? First award here, it's the Club Fever Award, which, if you don't recall, is the freshman of the year. Obviously, an homage to Club Fever's willingness to let in students of all ages, but particularly the freshman class. Uh, in the preseason, I went with Jaden Greathouse. Uh, I'm going to have to revise that answer to Rico Flores. I, I do think it's Flores. Obviously, Greathouse had a, has been hampered by a hamstring injury, but he really did have a nice start to the year. He had two touchdowns in the first game in Dublin, so you're thinking, this is looking good so far. Uh, but given the injury and really given what Rico Flores has done so far for this team, I think it's got to be him. If Notre Dame had held on against Ohio State, we're talking about Rico Flores as a freshman who had the game-winning touchdown against the Buckeyes and who also made two huge plays on the last drive against Duke. Really, the only other freshman I think who could be in the conversation is maybe Jeremiah Love, but I think just the amount of snaps that Flores has gotten this year separates him from the pack. Yeah, I'm with you. Going into the season, I picked Jane Greathouse, and I think if he didn't get hurt, then he almost certainly would be the winner of this award, but he missed the entire Duke game. He played sparingly against Louisville and then against USC. He actually was out on the field for, I believe it was 30 plus snaps, but only had one target. It was an incomplete pass. And I think it's pretty clear he wasn't healthy for that either. But Notre Dame's wide receiver room is stretched so thin right now. Rico Flores has been the guy to step up. He actually is now listed as the starter on the depth chart over Tobias Merriweather. And I know that Merriweather has been dealing with with a hamstring injury as well. But Rico Flores has basically been a godsend to this Notre Dame team this season, and Notre Dame has really needed him. I would say that some his development hasn't necessarily been linear. There's definitely some plays where you're like, what are you doing? Uh, but he's had some big catches. He had another big catch against USC last week. You mentioned uh, his catches against Duke and USC. So, yeah, I would give the award to Rico Flores today, 
But I'm also not ruling out a scenario where Jane Greathouse comes back healthy next weekend and then solidifies himself as the best freshman the rest of the way. I think that's fair. Yeah, still up for debate, but uh, two-thirds of the way through the season, I think it's Flores. Yeah, defensively, I, I was trying to think, is there anyone? Um, not even like maybe a redshirt freshman, but Jalen Sneed hasn't really done enough. There really isn't that many other options. It's just the receivers. Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't even say that Christian Gray has gotten regular snaps on defense, but he's probably the freshman that's played the most on defense. So there, there really aren't a ton of options there. All right, let's move on to our next award. This is called the Jonas Gray Award. Could have been the Javon McKinley Award. There's other there's other seniors uh, out there who we could have given a shout-out to, but really the essence of this award is a senior who has a breakthrough year, not necessarily a breakout year, but a breakthrough year where they came into Notre Dame, maybe they had high expectations as a recruit, and it just, for whatever reason, didn't really work out the first three years or maybe even four years if they turned it on as a fifth-year senior, but... Who are you taking for this one? I said Chris Tyree in the preseason, and I think that that pick was prescient. He's made a big play in every game this year, really, and it's been the most consistent of all the receivers. Actually, I guess you could say he's probably been the only consistent receiver this season, <laughs> yeah. uh, even with the drop that happened against Louisville. It seems like that position change from running back to receiver was a really wise move for him. and. And I expect and hope he does come back next year and, and can really build off of what has been a strong year for him so far. I agree. Uh, going into this season, I took Jordan Botello, and we'll get to him in a second because I want to ask your opinions about what he's done so far this year. But I think it's got to be Chris Tyree. Uh, he's really broken through as a wide receiver. It seems like every game he makes one, maybe two catches, and that's really all you need from him because when he makes a play, it's usually a big one. Um, he did bounce back after that drop. And look, it was a bad drop. He should have made that catch against Louisville. But that was one of those times you're like, oh, yeah, like he is a converted running back because he did not track that ball well at all. But he made up for it with an absolutely massive touchdown against USC. And I'm with you. I really hope he comes back next year. I think that he will because he's only. it's not like he's been around for five or six years like some of these other right. guys who still have eligibility because of the COVID year. Like if he has one more year – as a full-time slot receiver, I think he could work his way onto an NFL roster. I don't think he's big enough to get drafted or anything like that, but I think that next year he would be the clear leader of the group uh, and could really improve his draft stock going forward. Totally, and that's why he should come back, just to get more reps playing receiver as well. So hopeful that that will happen. Uh, I, I guess we'll see. So I want to get back to Jordan Patel because that was my pick before the season, and I'm sure that a lot of other people, had they done this exercise, they also would have picked Jordan Patello. There were a lot of high hopes from going into the season. And it's it's interesting because the conversation around him has been pretty quiet. It's basically as if there hasn't been a conversation about him as, at all, really. So what's your perspective on the way he's played this season? Because he he's still a starter. He has the fourth most snaps on the defensive line, but his production has been pretty minimal. I think the only thing of note he's really done is flush Kyle McCord out and cause that intentional grounding. That probably should have been the reason Notre Dame won that Ohio State game, but it wasn't. You're right. Outside of that, though, he hasn't done a ton. And I know you just said that he's fourth on the team in snaps defensively. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, fourth on the line. Not on the, on the line. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. Correct. But – it does seem like his snap count has been going down the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I, I think it was Greg Flamong who suggested that 
seems like he's hurt. Like actually, I think the injury that he floated out there was shin splints because he just doesn't look as explosive. But I also don't think he just looks as confident as he was even at the end of last year where he wasn't playing as much. You're just not seeing that same sort of energy or just I'm going to blow past this guy like we saw in the Gator Bowl last year. And and you would think that maybe that would stem from an injury. And and it kind of reminds me of how Maris Leofow looked like last year, to be honest with you. It's just not as noticeable because he's not playing linebacker or he's missing tackles every play uh, if you're a step slow or taking terrible angles. But he just doesn't look as sure of himself out there. I could definitely see that. He hasn't been playing with the same reckless abandon that we're used to seeing with him on the field. So he had 28 snaps this past Saturday, and then he had 22 the week before that. But that was a Louisville game. He missed the first half of that game, right, because of the targeting penalty? Um, Yeah, he got the targeting against Duke. Yep, Yep. Yep. Missed first half of Louisville. So he only played 22 in that game. The week before that, though, he played 56 against Ohio State when they really narrowed their rotation down. So... Maybe he's playing with an injury as of late. I don't know if it started at the beginning of the year or what, but I think it's fair to say that it's a little bit disappointing that he didn't take the leap. And again, I'm not saying he's like a bad player. He's a liability out there, but I'm also at the point with him where it's like, hey, if Josh Burnham starts getting a lot more snaps at Viper, I wouldn't really be opposed to it, even though I understand that Jordan Patello is a veteran, still brings stuff to the table. And in that line of thinking, not that I think he's a detractor or a net loss um, in terms of what he brings to the table. You almost wonder if it makes sense for both parties, if he just grad transfers elsewhere, if this is, this is kind of what we see the rest of the year. Maybe he just wants to change the scenery somewhere. He gets his degree and he can just see what he can do somewhere else for his last year of school. I don't know. That's, I have, haven't heard anything to suggest that that's just a thought I had. I could definitely see it. He definitely would sort of fit that mold in, you know, if Notre Dame starts playing Bubacor, Triori, Right. At the end of the season. And I did not realize that he had actually had some spot plays against Tennessee State and Central Michigan as well. A little bit interesting that the coaching staff decided to play him in those games if they had intended mm-hmm. on redshirting him. Or maybe they mm-hmm. never intended on doing that. Maybe they always planned on him getting a lot more action late in the year. Because with a player like that, especially at a position where uh, it, it's so coveted by the NFL does redshirting a guy really make sense if you think he has a bright future at Notre Dame? Now, if he's not going to be scratching the field at all, that's one thing. But if you see mm-hmm. scenarios where you could put him in on third downs and, and get some playing time, then I just don't really see a point of trying to redshirt him if you think he can help you because odds are he's probably not going to be taking a fifth year. If anything, he might use that year as a reason to transfer. So I think we'll see a lot more of him throughout the end of the season. And if that's the case, I could totally see Patello looking elsewhere once the season ends. Totally. You hit it on the head there. Uh, really no reason probably at this point to redshirt him because if he's good enough, he's not going to take the fifth year anyway. So I agree. We'll be right back with Luke Smith to hand out more awards, including our patented DCO Cafe Award and the Brothers Bar and Grill Award. But first, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs lets find the right people for your team faster and for free. I used LinkedIn Jobs a couple years ago. They made it easy to contact a hiring manager, learn more about a role, and eventually I got the job. LinkedIn also makes it incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. 
All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier than ever. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockdowncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockdowncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Moving on to the next award, we have the Kyron Williams slash Joe Alt Award. Uh, also known as the player who will have a breakout season. Preseason, I said Xavier Watts, and I don't think I'm going to change that. Uh, I don't have any problem with anybody who says Mitchell Evans here because he's probably had the true surprise breakout in that I don't think anybody saw his production in the receiving game and his elusiveness after the catch coming. But uh, I think Xavier Watts has had a really strong year. And even going back to NC State where he had that impressive Pass breakup, followed by an interception on the same drive. He's just been so solid all year. And what what we talked about last week, he had potentially the best game we've ever seen by a defensive player in a single game for Notre Dame against USC. And it'll be really interesting to see how he builds off that performance down the stretch run. Yeah, and another thing about Xavier Watts is it might seem like recency bias coming off that USC game, but it's really not. Like If you right. look at his game log, he's been consistent – year round. Um, Ohio State, I will say that wasn't his best game, but he followed that up with an awesome game against Duke. He had a pick in that game, eight tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville, not really a good game for anyone. And then USC, he bursts on the scene and he's really athletic and he's really not a big guy. He looks pretty skinny, honestly. He's listed as 5'11", 198 pounds, but he's just a great football player. Like I couldn't tell you one thing that he's elite at, he's just kind of good at everything. So really good pick. I thought about taking him as well, but I'm actually going to go with Mitchell Evans. Um, going into the season, I took uh, Riley Mills. And for Mills, like he had a slow start to the year, but he's been playing his best football lately, I would say, in his entire career. Him and Howard Cross uh, are an absolute force on the interior. And we saw Riley Mills really make some plays against Louisville. Hell, he might have been the only guy against Louisville who was actually out there making plays. And then USC, he was given their offensive line some fits. But I don't think he's done enough to to win this award, at least at this point. Maybe that changes at the end of the season. So I'm taking Evans. If you had told me going into the season that Mitchell Evans would be the leading wide receiver after uh, you know week eight, I'd be like, wow. Things have gone really wrong for this Notre Dame football team. And to an extent, maybe yeah, they have. I was going to say, it's still not that great. <laughs> it's still not that great. But what he has done uh, is just so impressive. And he's leading the team in receptions and yards. And he really wasn't even a factor in the passing game until the Central Michigan game. So he's basically had all of this production in six games, essentially. And it's really exciting. And now I'm actually at the point with Evans where I'm like, okay, don't do too well because I don't want him to go to the NFL. And that's a real conversation uh, that we might have to have at the end of the season. Did you say starting with the Central Michigan game or after? Because he missed the Central Michigan game. Oh, I'm sorry. Starting with the <laughs> Tennessee State game. when yeah. And it was at the, yeah, it was the Tennessee State game when Notre Dame ran the two-minute drill. And then Hartman connected with Evans like four times on the way down the field. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so... 
played in that game, did really well, missed the Central Michigan game, was a basic no-show against uh, NC State. And as a matter of fact, after the NC State game, I was telling you, maybe Holden Stace is tight end one now, and that certainly uh, did not end up happening that way. It didn't, and Notre Dame also never ran play action again after that game either. <laughs> but uh, that's that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, although at least Holden Stace, he got some uh, – he had a nice little catch there against USC. He got a first down on a third down. Mm-hmm. And at this point, whenever Notre Dame c- converts on third down, I'm like, oh, my God, they're allowed to do that. <laughs> Somebody tell Penn State that? <laughs> yeah, well, they. I was pissed that they got that third down. They did not deserve to score a touchdown either with the performance they put on. I mean, you have Drew Aller crying in the postgame saying, I suck today, too. That's never a good sign either. But yeah. anyways, that's enough talk about that dreadful offense. Yeah, that was uh, that was terrible. You got any thoughts on Riley Mills? Do you think he could have been a pick here, or, or do you think he's done enough? I, I think preseason it made sense, but like you alluded to, he did have a slow start to the year. Um, he's been playing well lately, though, and that's another guy that, I think it probably benefit from coming back for another year. So I'll be really intrigued to see what happens. I'm talking about this like the season's over. There are four games left, it, which is kind of wild within itself that there's only four games left as we sit here on, I don't know, what is it, October 23rd? That just kind of blows my mind a little bit, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, having a bye week this week was really necessary for all of us, not just the team, the fans. Although I, I will say on Saturday, waking up without that – anxious, nervous, exciting feeling, I guess you could say. Uh, I miss that. It's like, Notre Dame football is seriously like a drug. But when, when Notre Dame has that second bye week, I'm going to hate it. I already know yeah, it's it. It's going to suck. That's going to be really annoying. And uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But this next award uh, is actually pretty prevalent to this time of year because it is the DCO Cafe Award, uh, the, basically the hidden gem, a player who is not a starter week one but will have a huge impact. Uh, if you are not with us, for the preseason award show or really any other past award show that we've done. The DCO Cafe is uh, this little, it's like a lunch spot on the Notre Dame campus. It's in uh, an administration building basically that I think was originally intended to be uh, for faculty only, but then students found out where it was and that they have really good spicy chicken wraps. And since then, I think it has expanded. But it's a hidden gem. And I think for this award, I am going to take Jane Greathouse. I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but I felt like since I didn't give him the Club Fever Award, I'm going to give it to him. Going into the season, I picked Holden Stays. There's a moment where that looked like that was going to be a good call, but his production has really fallen off. With Greathouse, he's one of the most efficient players in the offense. He's 14th on the entire offense in snaps, but he's tied for second on the team in touchdown catches and his fifth in catches despite missing some time. So, I think he's had a big impact early on this season, and I think he's going to have a bigger impact the rest of the way. But I think at this point, he's actually done enough to win this award, and uh, I think he deserves some credit given his production so far this season. No gripes for me. It does almost feel like his production has been lost in the sense of just it, it feels like a while ago since we've last seen him do some things this whirlwind of four games really just, I, I don't know, they all time kind of just collapsed together and early in the season feels like a long time ago. Like you almost forget Jaden Thomas is on the team still uh, yeah. speaking of Jaden's, but uh, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that pick at all. Uh, however, in the preseason, I said this was going to be Bubakar Traore. He had that huge play against USC and I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season, but 
There's really one answer that sticks out to me here, and I think it's Javante Jean-Baptiste because he did not start against Navy, so he was not a starter week one. That was actually not us, uh, Osafa Mensa who did. And outside of Howard Cross, I, I'd argue he's been Notre Dame's most consistent defensive lineman, and he's really produced at a level that I don't think anybody saw coming going into this year. I think we thought he'd be an effective pass rusher. We, we thought he might struggle against the run. He's just been really solid all around, and in the process, he's likely made himself some money too. Yeah, if you look at his usage, he only played 25 snaps against Navy, 23 against Tennessee State, and then really after that, I think that's when he solidified himself uh, as the starter or at least the main strong side end going forward because then he played 57 snaps and then played as many as 64 against his former team in Ohio State, and it is so unfortunate for him that he wasn't able to get a win in that game against his former team because that was just a gutsy effort from Javante Jean-Baptiste playing 64 snaps, and he was all over the field causing havoc uh, in the Ohio State backfield all game. And I'm with you. Like I thought at the time when Notre Dame picked him up at the transfer portal in the offseason, I was like, oh, wow, really nice pickup. Maybe he'd just be like a third-down specialist. I didn't think he'd have nearly the impact that he has, but – to your point, he's probably one of, if not the most consistent players, not just on the Notre Dame defensive line, but really the entire defense. I Totally. Um, and speaking of which, another guy that this probably could have been under consideration for, although, you know, I actually don't think he was a day one starter because they weren't really using this package against Navy. Thomas Harper probably could get some consideration here too, just because I, I think we all thought he'd be a serviceable player, but he's been pretty good for Notre Dame all year too. Yeah, he definitely could have fit, although it's hard to think of him not as a starter because right. now he's, it's at the point with him. But technically. Where, yeah, technically, <laughs> especially playing Navy, too. We could have really bent the rules in yeah. this one and picked someone else. But I actually want to talk about your Bubacor Treori pick because we've talked about him a little bit on the uh, on the podcast already. But if he ends up playing more consistently at the end of the year, like it's not crazy to think that he starts to see significant action because I was thinking about it last year with Benjamin Morrison – he was seeing the field a lot more than what Traore has done so far this season, but he wasn't really that productive up until Clemson, which was early November. And then, this is crazy to think about, but back in 2021, Lorenzo Styles became wide receiver one in late October, and he barely played at all at the beginning of the season. So we've seen this trend of one player, maybe multiple players, who they don't really do a ton at the beginning of the season. And then after November, you can't even imagine the team without him because they, they were able to come on the scene and make some plays at the end of the year. So even though Traore is in the pick now, I could actually see him being the winner of this award when it's all said and done. I think that's a good point. And this feels like something we've actually talked about in the past. I wish I could remember more examples of this because this does seem to happen quite frequently. But yeah, that will be very intriguing to watch and, and see how that translates. All right, what do we got next? We got the Brothers Bar and Grill Award. Um, that's the position group slash player that might frustrate you at times, but will deliver when it counts. For those of you not familiar, Brothers Bar and Grill on Eddy Street, in theory, should be a tremendous bar. It's huge. It's usually pretty cheap, big patio. It just unfortunately happens to have the worst service in the country. Uh, <laughs> but when it does come through, wow, it comes through. So with that in mind, in the preseason, I said the wide receivers, and let's be honest, they haven't really delivered one of this counted. I guess you could say that Rico Flores did on that last drive against Ohio State as well as Jaden Greathouse, but Notre Dame's in trouble offensively because of this group. Yeah, they've really. certainly frustrated at times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm 
this might sound a little bit interesting. I'm actually going to say the defensive line here. They haven't always gotten home with their pressure. Uh, and I think you could say or point to the Ohio State game as a frustration point. They did not bring Kyle McCord down nearly enough in that game. I think that really could have made a difference in that game had they have. But in the USC game, I mean, they more than made up for it. I think didn't Notre Dame has something like 11 sacks on the year going into that game. And then they had six that night. And a lot of that was due to the work of the loss. Yep. Yeah. So, and like we said, Howard Cross has been, he's going to be an all American. So it feels weird to point to this group, but I just think that there's been points in time where maybe they haven't done enough to get the quarterback on the ground. And I know people are going to say sacks aren't everything and you're right, but that Ohio State game in particular, I think uh, we could have used that a little bit more. I struggled with uh, this selection for that same reason because I also picked the wide receivers going into the year. They have not done enough to right. to work. And again, I understand the injuries and all that. It certainly impacted the production from the wide receivers. It could get better. I'm not completely writing all of those guys off, but it has been massively disappointing from that group so far. I don't need to get into that again. So I'm actually going to go with the special teams unit because okay. it's been an up and down season so far for Mar Marty Biaggi and his unit, but they've had some huge moments, none bigger than Jadarian Price's kickoff return for a touchdown against USC that basically stamped the game. At the time, you and I were both feeling pretty nervous about Notre Dame's position at that point, only up 11 in the fourth quarter. USC had just found a little bit of momentum, especially on offense, and then Price just ended it all right there with that touchdown and left no doubt. But they also had a critical fake punt on the first drive against Duke that led to a touchdown, one of the few touchdowns in that game. So that was a big play. Spencer Schrader has missed a couple chip shots. He had a very he had a bad miss against Ohio State in terms of like the importance of the game and considering how low scoring it was, that certainly came back to bite him. But in his defense, it was like a 48-yard. It wasn't like a chip shot. He has missed some chip shots this year, but none of them were super impactful. I think he's found a bit of a groove as of late. Uh, he's been six of seven lately. He's got four field goals made from 50 or more yards, so that's been solid. And Bryce McPherson, the punter, you know, he's had an up-and-down year, but I actually don't think I gave him enough credit for his tackle on Zachariah Branch in the moment. The fact that a punter could hawk down arguably the fastest guy in college football who has just had a breakaway to the end zone there was really an incredible play. And even though USC ended up scoring on that drive, it took some time off the clock. And, you know, maybe if he doesn't get there, Notre Dame doesn't get the kickoff return for a touchdown. That's a domino effect. I don't know. But I feel like overall the special teams unit has come up when they absolutely needed them the most. Yeah, and in the spirit of the award, it was his fault that Zachariah Branch got to return the kick because it was a live try and a line drive punt. Yeah, so I, why yeah. any team punts to him at this point is beyond me. It doesn't make any sense. No, uh, although it ended up being USC's worst nightmare or enemy on Saturday night because they ended up scoring too quickly as a result of a Zachariah Branch okay, return. Okay, quick question and aside on that. Do you think when Caleb Williams was scoring on that play, do you think he thought about going down? It looked like to me he considered, wait, do I go out of bounds? He considered not scoring on that play that put them up before you or before Utah ended up going back down the field and kicking that field goal. I think Caleb Williams should have gone out. Now, obviously, I have the benefit of hindsight, but I think he was actually thinking about it mid-play. Did you notice that? So I struggled between whether that was the thought process or whether he was showboating uh, because you never really know with him because he did kind of have like a weird walk into the end zone. 
as a as a quick aside, though, I I do Kyle Whittingham's quote about the quarterbacks in that game. Um, and if you didn't see it, what he said in reference to USC was they've got a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, so they're just going to make some things, and that's just the way it is. But we've got ourselves a pig farmer at quarterback, so we're proud of that guy too. What that brought me back to, actually, and this is a, a complete aside. When I was got the eighth, aside to the aside to yeah. the aside at this point. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, we lost a, a baseball game to a team from a very rural town. And uh, our coach, former professional or minor league baseball player, was very upset with this. And his quote was, you just lost to a bunch of goddamn pig farmers. Um, (laughs) Do you think they have a coach who played effing minor league baseball? No, they all farm pigs for an effing living. So that brought me back to that. Uh, So that was that was a good quote from Kyle Whittingham. Last note on that. One of my favorite moments of the season so far was the first week of the college football season. It's Utah versus Florida. And uh, on Utah's first drive of the game, they put up this graphic that Bryson Barnes is a pig farmer, and I think they had some pictures of him or whatever, and I was like, wait a second. I had no idea this guy was a pig farmer. I should have hammered Utah Moneyline. First play, 80-yard touchdown pass, and I was like, this is peak college football. This pig farmer is just out there slinging it down the field for a touchdown. Luke and I still have more awards to get to, including most valuable player. But first, I wanted to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill based, real money daily fantasy sports game where you pick two to six players, and if they will do more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Price Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. You can watch your progress, update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. I've been playing Price Picks recently. I have no idea why I waited so long. And what I love most about it is that you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals and sharks. So go to prizepicks.com slash lockdowncollege and use code lockdowncollege for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash lockdowncollege, code lockdowncollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're moving a little bit slowly right now, so let's pick it back up. Let's get back on track. We're moving away from yeah, like too many sides. Four different <laughs> tangents we just went on there. Um, the four hundred one k award, which is given out to the player who might not have the biggest impact this fall, but whose progress you'll be watching closely. Since the season hasn't ended yet, I feel like this is more of like a a check in on the guys that we took before the season. Who did you take? I said Kenny Minchie in the pregame and. I don't think we've heard a lot about him, to be totally honest with you. Hey, scout team player of the week this past week. Okay, that is promising. However, on top of that, the word seems to be that Notre Dame will, in fact, pursue another transfer quarterback this offseason with the idea that whoever that is that they're going to land is going to be the starter. And I don't necessarily think this is a damnation or condemnation of Minchie as much as it might be on Steve Angeli. It does kind of make you wonder what's going on. And I don't know what you've heard on that, but that just seems to kind of be the word that they're going to get another transfer. I'm not surprised that they're looking to get another transfer. I think they should, given Mm -hmm. the situation in the quarterback room. You and I have been pretty open about the fact that we're not super high on Angeli. Never really have been ever since he was a recruit. I'm higher on Minchie. I think you are as well. But I can't help 
But think about that Ohio State-Penn State game that we just watched on Saturday. Drew Aller, five-star quarterback, all-world talent, all this stuff. Redshirts his freshman year, sits out, and his play this year. And he's had some moments this year, but there's also been times where I've been watching Penn State like, okay, I see the talent, but there's a reason why Penn State isn't throwing any deep shots with him. They don't trust him. And it's hard to trust uh freshman or a retro freshman or hell even a junior quarterback with zero starting experience in big time college football like next year Marcus Freeman isn't going to be able to be like all right well this is a a bridge year like no Sam Hartman is effectively the starting quarterback for the bridge year at this point so next year there's going to be really high expectations for Marcus Freeman in year three and he can't afford to play a quarterback who has no experience. And I understand that eventually you got to play your guys. And I think that Kenny Minchie will eventually be given the shot as the starting quarterback. But we all thought Drew Aller would probably, was probably a more talented quarterback than, than Kenny Minchie. And then look what he just did on the biggest stage. So I think experience is so important in college football, maybe more than it's ever been at the quarterback position. Like you look at the top guys, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, those guys have been in college for a really long time, and they've been starting for a really long time. So if there's a really good quarterback out there who has experience, Notre Dame would be stupid to not look at it. That's fair enough. We'll see who that might be. But, um, yeah, it just makes you wonder, at what point do you just roll with the guys you got? And, and I'm not saying one way is right or another. It just You do have that thought. Like, at what point do you just go with what you have? Now, I would say they might not take a guy if – the players in the portal are not that great because this past transfer portal class quarterbacks was not that great. Sam Harmon, obviously the exception there. So of course, Notre Dame is going to take him. I don't think that they're going to take a guy for the sake of taking him. Like if right. hypothetically, like a Hudson card level quarterback is in the transfer portal and that's the best Notre Dame could do. I don't think that they are definitely going to take him because it's probably going to lead to some awkwardness in the room. So I don't know. That's just how I look at it. Do you see it differently or do you think they're no, like, no, no I, doubt I think, a guy? I, I think they, as long as whoever is in there is somebody that they think can elevate it, then they'll do that. But if not, maybe they won't. We'll see. Yeah. It's definitely something we'll, uh, we'll continue to monitor here on the podcast and it's probably going to be the story of the off season, just like it was last year. Uh, my pick before the season was Christian Gray. I'm sticking with Christian Gray because I think he's going to replace Cam Hart next season. I think Christian Gray, I think so highly of him. I think he's going to jump Jane Mickey, despite the fact that Mickey has another year on him. I think Gray is just that physically gifted. And some of the reports out there from the Notre Dame coaching staff is that they're still very high on Christian Gray. His use, his usage this season has been interesting. He got in for 21 plays against Navy, 23 against NC State, 15 against Central Michigan but he's barely seen the field since. He's been out there a little bit, like he played for five snaps against Duke and two against USC. So it's not like they're redshirting him this season, but he's barely seeing any action on the field right now. But I don't think that has anything to do with like how the staff looks at him and his future at Notre Dame. I think it's just Notre Dame has two of the best cornerbacks in college football, and then they have Thomas Harper, who's been a really, really productive nickel, and there's just not enough reps to go around. No, no, no argument for me there. Um, I think you're right. I think it is likely he'll be starting at corner next year because it seems like the staff is that high on him. Will be interesting to see how much he plays down the stretch here. Um, just because, like you mentioned, he hasn't played a whole lot the last few games. But I, I'm totally in agreement with you. I think we might actually see him if Notre Dame plays in a in a big bowl game and Cam Hart decides to opt out because he's really improved his draft stock and he's dealt with 
a yep. myriad of injuries throughout his college career. If he were to sit out, would have no problem with that. Maybe then we'll see Christian Gray. But that is a long way from now. Let's r- finish here with maybe the easiest pick uh, we've had yet in this entire show. Talking about the MVP? Yeah, it's Sam Hartman. <laughs> it's Sam Hartman. Who else could it be? Like I, I understand that he hasn't probably been the best player statistically. He's probably like the fourth or fifth most talented player on the team, but I can't even imagine this team without Hartman at quarterback. Yeah, I'm trying to... Th- I, I think Howard Cross actually doesn't... Like, has a decent argument, but the, the level of impact is is not comparable, but... That's the only other guy that really comes to mind for me. Yeah. I probably got too cute with this in the preseason when I picked Audric Estime. And Estime's been outstanding uh, this entire season. But after that Duke game, like it was so clear that Hartman was the MVP. I mean, the season was on the brink of collapse. And then Hartman became Superman and carried an absolutely atrocious offense 98 yards down the field against one of the best defenses in all of college football and won them the game. I know that Audrey Kestemay scored the game-winning touchdown, but they are not even in that situation without Sam Hartman. So I understand that his production has been limited as of late. The Louisville game was abysmal, but it's imagine where this team would be without him. They're probably four and four and maybe even three and five if, you know, we really want to get dark, but Notre Dame is not in that position because they have 10. Uh, uh, wow, that's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that thought is the reason why Notre Dame is like, yeah, we need a transfer quarterback. Like, yeah, not, yeah. But, yeah, that that very well could be. So, all right, I'm, I'm back on board. All right. All right, well, Luke, thanks as always. Uh, I'm already looking forward to the next time you're on for us to talk about how the Irish fared against the fighting Pat Narduzzi's. Hopefully there's a lot to like from that one because – if things go south, I don't even want to picture it. I don't even want to picture it. I'm not even going to put that in the air. I think it's going to be a good one on Saturday. What's your What's your early prediction right now before we let you go? Uh, for Pittsburgh, I'm yeah. going to say 35 to six. <laughs> I, I, right. I I don't think they're going to score a touchdown. So there you go. All right, there you have it. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks again for making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. We'll officially flip the page to the pick game tomorrow, so be sure to tune in to tomorrow's preview episode that's going to drop in the morning. Remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. That way, every new episode will just populate in your feed. It'll download automatically, and it'll be right there for you each and every morning. Also, be sure to follow the show on Twitter slash X at Locked On Irish, on Instagram at Locked On Irish Pod. My personal Twitter account is at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. And I'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place.